Good morning, Lakeview Church. We're, uh, today's message is focused on how to be an annoying younger sibling. I'm just kidding. Um, it is so good to be with you. I have been so excited about this series. Uh, actually started working on this series last summer. Um, I really felt like God laid it on my heart for our church uh, for this particular season as a way to start the new year. And so super excited to jump into this new series today. But before we get into that, I want to just take a moment and just say, if this is your first Sunday with us or you're new around here and we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris Williams and I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And whether you're joining us here in this room or whether you're joining us online, I just want everyone to know how glad we are that you're here. And so if you are new around here and you haven't had a chance to connect or get plugged in, I want to encourage you to take a first step today. And the first step that I want you to take, again, whether you're here in the room or joining us online, I want you to fill out the communication card. That's just your way of kind of raising your hand and saying, hey, we want to know more about the church and we want to get more connected. And when you fill out that communication card, that's just going to help us serve you more effectively. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And you might wonder, how, how can we do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, if you text the word welcome to 765-222-5937, or you can take the handout that you should have received when you came in this morning, and there's a QR code right on the front on the right-hand side, and you can scan that QR code, and that's going to take you to our communication card. And we just want to encourage you to fill that out. Again, that's just your way of letting us know you're here and that you want to get more connected. You want to know more about the church. Helps us serve you, and we want to do that. And if you fill out the communication card today, again, whether you're here in the room or online, we have a gift that we would like to share with you. And so if you're here in the room, you can simply visit our Welcome Center, which is the kind of counter right out in our lobby. And when you go back there, you can let them know you fill off the communication card and the dream teamers who are serving there, they're going to help you. They're going to make a connection with you and they're going to share that gift. And if you're joining online and you fill it out, don't worry, we'll get your gift to you later this week. And I want to just thank you for doing that because again, that really just helps us come alongside you and help you take the next steps in your journey here at Lakeview Church. Now, whether you're here and you're new or you've been here for a while, you'll know uh, or you need to know that Lakeview Church is an everyday church for everyday people. And we are striving here as a local church to follow Jesus, to live generously, and to make a difference every single day. And if you were here with us over the fall, you'll know that we really dove into the book of Romans throughout the fall. We actually pretty much stayed in the book of Romans pretty much September, October, and November. And as we walked through that series together uh, in our study of Romans, we, we spent some time really talking about what it means to follow Jesus and that when we follow Jesus, we experience forgiveness and we find freedom. And then we spent some time talking about what it means to live generously. And we really discovered that as we respond to God's grace, that in that moment, what we're doing is offering our lives to God. And when we do that, God makes us generous. And I want to just pause here because I think my mic's cutting out. Is it cutting out? Can you hear it cutting out? What are you saying, Norm? I'm confused as to... Okay, I was like, this is yes and this is no. Okay, I just want to make sure that I'm not cutting out because what I want to share with you today, I want to make sure you hear and I don't want you to be distracted because I think it's really important what we're going to talk about today. We've spent time talking about what it means to follow Jesus. We've spent time talking about what it means to live generously. But what we're going to do over the next three weeks, today and the next three Sundays, we're going to talk about what it means to live a life that makes a difference. 
I believe that God is calling our church to be an army of people who make a difference in our community and in our world. And not just the people who are here today, but the people who are going to be here in the, in the years to come. That this would become a sending station for the work, not just that God wants to do right here in Marion, right here in Grant County, but what God wants to do in the world. I believe God wants to raise up an army of people who make a difference for his name and for his kingdom. And so what we're going to talk about in this series is really a roadmap for living a life that makes a difference. And to do that, we're going to study the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite Old Testament Bible characters, and his story is found in the very first book of the Bible, the book named Genesis. And you heard a little bit of Joseph's story, really the beginning of his story in Genesis chapter 37. His story stretches from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50. And I would encourage you over this month, maybe just to spend some time reading Joseph's story. But I want to take a shot here right at the beginning of this series of kind of telling you Joseph's story, maybe in just two or three minutes. You heard the beginning of Joseph's story. He's a young man. In fact, he's born as the youngest of 12 brothers to his father, Jacob. Just for frame of reference, Jacob is in the line of Abraham, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Joseph is the last child born to Jacob, right? He's the youngest child and he was born to Jacob in Jacob's old age, which makes Jacob really like him a lot because he didn't think he was gonna have any more kids and then Joseph shows up and Jacob loves him. Now, Jacob also loves Joseph because Joseph's a little bit of a tattletale. He comes back and reports to his dad, hey, the other guys, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And it helps Jacob kind of manage the other brothers as they're thinking about their family operation as farmers. And so Jacob really loves Joseph. This makes his siblings, of course, just love him. I mean, they think he's amazing, right? No, they don't at all. They don't like him at all. They, they think he's favored. They, they think he's kind of... Uh, kind of kissing up to his dad. And so they kind of, they don't like him very much. In fact, they actually start to hate him. And then in the middle of that, God gives Joseph a dream. And this dream comes from God. It's not just the imaginings of, of, of a youth. It's not, just, it's not just the idealism of a young person. This is a God-given dream where God speaks into Joseph's life and says, Joseph, this is what your life is about. I have created you and formed you, and I'm going to shape you and position you so you can do this thing that I'm asking you to do. And so after receiving the dream, Joseph does what everybody does who gets an exciting new vision for their life. He calls those closest to him and he tells them what the dream is and, and they hate him even more because the dream says, hey guys, one day I'm gonna be elevated and you're gonna bow down in front of me. Isn't that an exciting dream? And this is Joseph. This is, this is the excitement of a young person who's got a God-given call placed upon his life, and he's sharing that with his, his family, and they reject him. In fact, they reject him and hate him so much that they actually start to plot as to how they could eliminate him from the family. But one of the brothers says, hey, you know what? We shouldn't eliminate him. We should just pretend like we eliminate him. We should make it look like he died. So they stage his death 
So they can tell Jacob, their father, that Joseph is gone. And then they decide they can make some money off of Joseph. So they literally sell their brother into slavery. He's picked up by a caravan and he's taken to a far off land in Egypt. And there in Egypt, he gets purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard in the Egyptian army. And and Joseph begins to work in his house. And Joseph works as unto the Lord. Even in a foreign land, even in a hard situation, he keeps working. Why? Because God's given him a dream. And even though it seems like he's going a different direction than the dream that God has for him, Joseph believes that God's plan will ultimately be fulfilled. So Joseph just gives himself to the work that's in front of him to do. Believing that God will use this detour, this distraction, as actually a tool to unfold the dream. And so Joseph elevates in the household until he is the second in command. The only person with more authority in Potiphar's household is Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife starts to think Joseph is pretty attractive. And she literally throws herself at him over and over and over again, trying to seduce Joseph, but Joseph won't give in. And so eventually one day she decides that if Joseph won't give in to her advances, that she'll get him. And so she falsely accuses Joseph of forcing himself upon her. Of course, Potiphar believes his wife and throws Joseph into prison. And again, you might think at this point that Joseph would say, well, I I had a dream from God, but life's not going my way, so I guess I can't fulfill God's dream. But that's not what Joseph does. Joseph just keeps serving the Lord. He stays focused on being responsible and doing things with excellence and, and taking whatever responsibilities are given to him and fulfilling those responsibilities in a way that honor those who are over him in authority and in a way that would be pleasing to his God. And God takes this man and elevates him inside the prison to the second in command. And now Joseph is in charge of the prison. The only person with more power and authority is the warden. Think about this, a prisoner being in charge of the prison. That's what happened to Joseph. And in the middle of that, there are a couple of his prison mates who have a dream that they can't interpret. And God gives Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams. And so as he interprets their dreams, they get out. They get out of prison. They're released but they forget about Joseph until one day when Pharaoh, the leader of the entire nation of Egypt has a dream that he can't interpret. And all of his wise men and all of his religious leaders, they can't interpret the dream. And so one guy in Pharaoh's household says, I think I got a guy. He's pretty good at interpreting dreams. And he recalls Joseph and Joseph is brought from the prison and he with God's help, actually interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he does it with such precision and such clarity that Pharaoh says, Joseph, I I want you to actually come into the cabinet of my administration and I want to elevate you to a place of prominence and a place of influence and I actually want you to manage our response to what these dreams have revealed. 
The dreams revealed that there was going to be seven years of plenty and and then seven years of famine. And, And what God gave Joseph was a plan to actually take all of the prosperity of Egypt and to store it up during the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine came, they wouldn't just have enough to sustain Egypt, but they would have enough to sustain the surrounding areas. And guess who else? Joseph's family. I mean, this is a made-for-TV movie. I mean, because his family ends up having to come to Egypt during the seven years of famine because they don't have enough to sustain themselves. And in that moment, they come before Joseph, and in many ways, they are humbled before him, just like God said they would be one day. And God has positioned Joseph in just this right place, in just this right time, so his family can be sustained. They can be cared for. And and if you know the story, you know that Joseph moves his entire family and all of their household and all of what they possess to Egypt. And Egypt becomes for God's people the incubator for this nation that would change the world. Joseph brings his family there and you know that Pharaoh gives them the land and and they come in and and there they prosper. And we often, when we think about Egypt and Israel, we think about Egypt as the place where Israel was held captive and they needed to be released from there. But before Egypt was its captivity, Egypt was Israel's deliverance. Which, not today's message, but I can't resist just saying that This is an important life lesson because there are times in our lives when God uses things for our blessing, but that thing that he has used in our past for blessing is not always intended to be the thing that God always wants to bless us with. Which is why as God's people, we have to learn to live in the moment with God And when the past is behind us, to leave the past where it belongs, in the past. Because God is constantly wanting to do new things in our lives, and we often miss out on the work that God wants to do because we are forcing God to only work in the way he worked back there. And until we let go of the past, we won't be freed up to take hold of the future. Now, that is not today's message, but that will preach right there. I'm just saying. So Joseph brings his people, his family, to Egypt, and there they prosper. And they prosper there for as long as Joseph and Pharaoh are alive. And as Joseph's life begins to draw to a close, he reminds God's people that Egypt isn't your destination. It's been an important part of your journey, but it's not your destination, which is why Joseph says, guys, I'm getting ready to die, but don't bury me too deep. Because when we leave this place, and we're gonna leave this place, you gotta take my bones with you because I want to go with the people of God into the future that God has for them. Even in his dying days, Joseph is not, not thinking about the past. He's not reminiscing. No, he's looking at the future and saying, that's where God's taking us. Let's go there. 
Joseph, I think, provides a roadmap for a life that makes a difference. And we're gonna study his life over these next few weeks. And we're beginning today with kind of the core idea that I think will frame up this entire message. As I've been studying the life of Joseph, I asked the Lord just to show us what it looks like to be a person who makes a difference. And, and as I have kind of written and studied and thought about this and prayed about this for these last months, this is what I wrote in my, in my notes as I was studying the life of Joseph. A person lives a life that makes a difference when he or she recognizes his or her God-given purpose and is committed to live out that purpose with God's help over a lifetime. I want to read it one more time. A person lives a life that makes a difference when he or she recognizes his or her God-given purpose and is committed to live out that purpose with God's help over a lifetime. If we were going to kind of say this a different way or maybe make it a little bit simpler to understand, think of it in kind of the, the format of an equation or a formula. A life that makes a difference equals kind of the combination of three key components, the first of which is divine calling, and we're going to talk about that this morning, divine calling. The second is personal commitment. That God calls us and then we commit ourselves to spend our days living out the purpose that God has called us to. And if we really want to make the difference that God has called us to make and created us to make, we can't do it in our own strength, which is why we need God's help and God's favor over the course of our lifetime. So today, what I want to do is talk to you really about the first two of these components, and then we're going to spend the rest of the series talking about how we become the kind of people that God wants to help, that God wants to favor. So let's talk about divine calling. The whole concept of divine calling maybe gets confused in the church today because when we think about people being called, we often talk about people being called to be a missionary or called to be a pastor. And so we think that calling is reserved maybe for like a few good men and a few good women. But what I want to remind you of is that God actually calls every single one of us into his service to redeem people and to restore this world to what he wants it to be. So everybody is called by God. This has been true since God started in the people business. He has always had a plan and a purpose for the people that he created. This is why when the psalmist says that you knew me when I was in my mother's womb, you knit me together. Even if you were unplanned or unwanted at birth, I just want you to know you were wanted by God because God thought about you and he created you just the way you are and he has plans for your life and he has a purpose for you to fulfill and he invites you into that. Now, as I've been thinking about this whole concept of calling, there's a little book that I have spent a lot of time reading over the last two years. I don't know how many times I've read this book over the last two years, but it's a lot. This book is called The Mobilization Flywheel. It's an exciting title, isn't it? The subtitle is Creating a Culture of Biblical Mobilization. 
The whole point of the book is how do we help God's people discover what God wants to do with his people? Because quite frankly, we've gotten it wrong in the church. We have thought that the purpose of God's people was to help us build the church, but that's not the point. Some of you are like, heresy. But God never created people so he could build the church. He created the church so he could change the world. The church is not intended to be a collection space. The church is, contend is intended to be a sending station. And we have missed out on that. The church has created its ministries and its programs and its calendars and its events. And we've said to everybody who's in the church, we've got a plan and you can help us. Except that's not the way God designed the church to function. God designed the church to function this way. You have a purpose and we can help as the church. In other words, how do you discover your calling and live that out in the world? Because that's the best gift the church can give to the world is people who know their calling and who go out there the other six days of the week and live out what God has created them to do. And so we wonder, why is the church underperforming in North America? And it is underperforming. It's because we're not doing things the way God intended them to be done. And as long as I'm your pastor, we're going to try to do things the way God wants them to be done. Because I am not interested in playing church. I am interested in being the church, the one that Jesus envisioned when he said, I will build my church. And when you get to the gates of hell, they can't even stop you. That's what we're called to be. And so how do we discover our calling? Well, in this book, they, they, in just a paragraph, just talk about calling in such a helpful way. And I wanna just share it with you because I think it's really, really helpful for us. What they say is that every single person has a primary calling. And that primary calling comes from Matthew 28, the very last words of Jesus, where he calls every single one of us as his people to make disciples, right? Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. And I'm with you all the way till the end of the age. Every single person is called to make disciples, it's not someone else's job, it's your job. It's my job. Which means we have to be connected to people who are far away from God and we have to invest in their lives and we have to pray for them that God would draw them to himself and we have to help them step across the line of faith and when they step across the line of faith, we help them walk the journey of faith so that together we are becoming like Jesus. This is what we're all called to do, to make disciples. And if you're wondering where does this come from, it comes from Jesus. So hopefully that counts for something. Right? Jesus is the one who said, this is what I want you to do, make disciples. That's your primary calling. You say, what's my calling? It's to make disciples. But then they go on to talk about our secondary calling 
which is what they call your personal sweet spot. And when they talk about this, they talk about the fact that when God created you, he created you with the personality. And it's the personality he wanted you to have. Some of you need God to redeem that personality and maybe smooth off some of the edges of it, but, but God gave you the personality you have. So if you are more spontaneous or you're more of an extrovert, God made you that way. And if you're introverted and quiet and you like to, to kind of get your energy from being alone, God made you that way. You don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to repent because of it. God made you who you are. He created you. And he knows what he's doing. And he didn't just give you a personality, but he gave you passions. There are things you care about. There are things that you'll stay up late at night talking about. There are things that break your heart and make you cry. There are things that get you excited and revved up when you think about them. Those are the passions that God put in your heart. That's part of who God made you to be. And God gave you skills. And some of you are really good with your hands. You can make things. You can fix things. You know how things work. Others of you are really good with words and ideas. And some of you are just good at managing people. We have lots of different skills and strengths and abilities. But God gave them to us. It was his idea. And so this secondary calling is really just figuring out who you are and leaning into that. Don't try to be someone else. You'll always be a bad imitation. Be yourself, because if you're not yourself, the world is missing out on what God intended the world to have through you. I love Kierkegaard's prayer, and now, Lord, with your help, I'll become myself. It's a great prayer. Find your sweet spot, who God made you to be, and lean into that. And that might mean finding a job that allows you to be who you are most of the time so that you're using your skills and your strengths and your abilities with the majority of your time. And some of you are retired and you're saying, what does this mean for me? You've got whatever is left of your life, the third third of your life. Do whatever God puts in front of you to do that allows you to be who you are. Don't let us miss out on your contribution just because you're retired. This might be the moment when God wants you to step to the forefront and do something for him that you never thought you could do. Find your sweet spot and lean into that. Now, where does divine calling come in? Divine calling happens when you live out your sweet spot, who God made you to be, and while you're living that out, you're doing that so you can fulfill your primary calling of making disciples. When you combine those two things, you in that moment have discovered your divine calling and you are a far way down the road to living a life that makes a difference. So if you find yourself as a school teacher and you walk into a classroom and God's wired you to be able to put up with those kids, God bless your hearts. You walk into that classroom and you do what God has created you to do and be the very best teacher that you can possibly be. But you do that with this reality in your mind that you are there to make disciples. And you say, well, I work in a public school. It doesn't matter. You can still pray for your kids. 
And you can still live as an example of Christ right in front of those kids. And when they ask you, you can be ready to give a defense for what you believe. You live out your sweet spot and then you make disciples from that platform that God's given you. If you're a farmer, you do the same thing. God's given you skills and abilities and gifts and, and you plow those rows straight and you plant those seeds and you take care of them. And when they grow up, you, you bring that harvest in and you feed us. Thank you. You do that, but while you're doing that, whenever you interact with people, whenever you find yourself working alongside of another person, you make disciples. That's your divine calling. And I could keep giving examples, but I gotta move on. You get the idea. Lean into your sweet spot. Do what God's created you to do. And in that place, make disciples. That's your divine calling. You say, how did Joseph do this? Well, remember the call that God gave to Abraham? Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph? In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you and everybody in the world will be blessed through you. Joseph knew about that calling. That was not just a calling for Abraham. That was a calling for Abraham's family and for all of the generations that would come after him. Joseph knew about that calling. That's the primary calling Joseph had to bless the world with the blessings that God gives. And so Joseph, when he gets this dream, which is his sweet spot, to one day be in a place of power and authority and influence, he has this specific picture in mind of what he's going to do. And he knows that when he's doing that, his ultimate goal is to bless the world. So that when God sends him on all these detours, which aren't really detours, they're actually part of God's plan to get him right where he needs to be at just the right moment, just the right time. Which is why when his brothers say, Joseph, uh, we're so sorry for all the bad things we did to you. Joseph said, no, no. What you've intended for evil, God Use that for good. It wasn't a detour. It wasn't a distraction. It was part of God's plan. He was shaping me. He was forming me. He was getting me right where he needed me to be so that at just the right moment, he could put me in that place. And from that place, I could save Egypt. I could influence the, rem the region around and I could bless the world. Find your divine calling and live it out. That's the beginning of a life that makes a difference. Now, the next thing in this equation, which I'm only gonna talk about just for a moment or two, is personal commitment. Joseph amazes me because Joseph is a guy who right from the very beginning faces setback after setback after setback, right? God gives him a dream and it's euphoric. I mean, he's excited. And then he tells it to the first people in there like, we hate you which by the way, is usually the way it goes. When you start talking about what God's asking you to do, people don't just applaud. There's usually resistance. And that's what, that's what Joseph felt. He experienced that, but he kept going. And then when they put him in a pit and they sell him into slavery, I mean, you'd think at some point he would just say, well, I had a dream but it's not working out for me. And it seems like the more I think about this dream or talk about this dream, it just gets worse. I'm just gonna give up. But he doesn't do that. He stays committed to the dream. He just believes this is not a detour. This is not a distraction. This is actually part of the plan. And he stays 
committed. And when he's falsely accused and thrown into prison again, you'd think at some point he would just take on a victim's mentality to say, you know what? Everything is against me and it just doesn't work for people like me. That's not what Joseph does at all. Joseph says, all right, God, this must be part of your plan as well. So how can I be faithful here? And again, these detours are not detours at all. Because of Joseph's personal commitment, God is redeeming every experience towards this purpose that he has for him. Some of us have missed God's purpose, not because we didn't know our calling, but because we allowed the setbacks and the challenges and the apparent detours to knock us off course. And I want to just say to you, listen, it takes personal commitment, not just today when you feel good about it, but it takes personal commitment when you face the setback and the challenge that comes next. You got to keep going. Because when God gives you a vision, he will fulfill that vision if you stay the course. So we got to have divine calling. And listen, divine calling comes from God. Everybody has it. Everybody has it. Personal commitment comes from us, and only a few choose it. So if we want to be people who make a difference, we not only need to recognize our call, but we need to make a personal commitment to pursue that call and live it out for the rest of our days. And listen, as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to keep calling you over and over and over again to live out the purpose that God has given you to live out. Because when I think about the ministry that God has called me to have, I feel like, Paul, you are my letter. You're the letter that I'm writing. That's what Paul was saying when he wrote about the churches that he worked with. You are the letter. I mean, yeah, I've written all these letters, but you are the letter. The church isn't about anything other than people. It's not about anything other than people. And you are my letter. And so as long as I'm your pastor, I'm just going to keep calling you to just live a life that makes a difference. Because God has called you and it takes your commitment. I got to move on. It's a good thing we got all month to talk about this because I got stuff to say. Last part of the equation. You need divine calling, you need personal commitment, and you need God's help. You need God's favor. You and I, we can't change the world. We can't make a difference in our own strength. If we ever think that, we've gotten it wrong. Joseph has a divine calling. He's personally committed. But if you read Joseph's story, there's this intriguing phrase that shows up everywhere in the story. The pit, the Potiphar's house, prison, Pharaoh's mansion, everywhere this this phrase comes in. You know what the phrase is? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was a person called by God. He was committed to live out that call and God committed himself to help Joseph. Why? Because Joseph lived the kind of life that God could favor. When God looked at Joseph, Joseph said, God said, there, there's a guy right there. I don't have to favor him. 
Because favor is always God's choice. It's never something we can earn. It's never something we can make God do. And it's never something that we can manipulate out of his hands. God only gives favor as a gift to his people. But we can position ourselves so that we are ready to receive that gift if God should choose to give it to us. And we're going to spend the rest of this series really just kind of zeroing in on what does it take to be the kind of people that God would want to be with, that God would want to favor. I think we talk an awful lot about how we can be with God, but what I want to ask for the rest of this month is what does it take for us to be the kind of people that God says, I want to be with them? Because if we can figure that out, if we can position ourselves in that way, then in that moment with a sense of divine calling to make disciples as we live out our personal sweet spot and we're committed to that for the rest of our days, if we can be the kind of people that God wants to help, that God wants to favor, then listen, there is nothing that cannot be done in this world. There is nothing that cannot be done. God, when he favors his people and they are sold out to him, God can change the world. And I want God to do that through us as a community of people. So divine calling, personal commitment, and God's favor. And this really is just a reminder of where we started. A person lives a life that makes a difference when he or she recognizes their God-given purpose and is committed to live out that purpose for the rest of their life with God's help. Listen, I believe God wants to favor us if we'll position ourselves, and that's what we're gonna talk about in the rest of this series. So this morning, I wanna close this message by just challenging you to do two things recognize your divine calling. Some of you, that's gonna require that you go back and think about what is my personality? What are the passions God's put in my heart? What are my skills and my strengths and abilities? And you need to discover those and you need to begin to deploy them in an intentional way. Some of you need to just recover that because you're in a job that's like your sour spot. And you spend the majority of your day, not in your sweet spot, but you spend the majority of your day doing things that you're not designed to do, which is why you're not fulfilled. And maybe you need to find a way that you can do what God's created you to do. And for many of us, we need to recommit to take that opportunity to make disciples. Recognize your call. And then secondly, make a commitment today to say, God, how many ever days I have left? None of us know how many days we have left. We, we just don't know. We could, life could be taken from us in a moment. But how many ever days we have left, can we commit ourselves to say, God, the only thing I'm gonna do with the rest of my life is live out the purpose you've given me. And I'm gonna do everything I can to strip everything else out of my life that doesn't fit that because my life is going to be lived for God and the purposes that he has for my life. That's what I'm calling you to. So can I pray for you to that end this morning? God, we are here in this place and we are grateful that you have invited us not just to sit back and watch while you do your work in the world, but you've actually invited us to partner with you to do your work in the world. 
And so, God, this morning, I'm asking for every single one of us here in this room and online that you would help us to recognize that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Help us to find that, to find our sweet spot and in the middle of that sweet spot to make disciples. And God, would you help us to be committed to that for the rest of our days? Whether we have one day or a hundred days or 10,000 days, Lord, help every single day to be lived for your purpose. And God, as we do that, would you pour out your favor and do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine so that you can be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.